Years ago, Thomas Huxley, the great 19th century biologist and anthropologist, grandfather to the writer Aldous Huxley, had to leave early one morning to go from one speaking engagement to another. He had ordered a horse-drawn taxi to go from his hotel to the train station. He assumed that the hotel doorman had told the driver of the carriage that they were to go to the train station. So when he got into the carriage, he simply looked at the driver and said, drive fast. It didn't take Huxley long to realize, being familiar with the area, that they were going in the opposite direction to the railway station. He yelled to the driver, do you know where you're going? Without looking back, the driver replied, no, sir, but I'm driving very fast. <laughs> How many times in our lives have we been going so fast, busy and flat out, that we've not stopped to evaluate whether we're heading in the right direction? In the passage from Luke this morning, we see Jesus helping some fishermen to get their lives aimed in the right direction. No one really knows whether this event is identical to Jesus' call to the fishermen described in Matthew and Mark. We do know, however, that John records the first meeting between Jesus and Peter, and that the event described this morning probably takes place about one year later. James and John, and perhaps even Peter's brother Andrew, although unnamed, were present. But the focus here is on Jesus and Peter, Simon Peter, as he is called here. These men had all met Jesus and had begun to follow him. However, here we can see that they were not yet fully committed to his mission because they were still working as fishermen, at this time washing their nets. But this meeting with Jesus completely redirects their lives. In verses 1 to 3, Jesus is teaching God's word and Peter is working at his fishing business. But by verse 11, Peter has completely left his business to follow Jesus. The words Jesus spoke directly to Peter are key to this story. Don't be afraid, Jesus says to Peter. From now on, you will catch men. Thanks to Jesus' instructions, these fishermen had just had the best catch that they had probably had ever. Their two boatloads of fish would have sold for a handsome profit in the local market. It must have been very tempting to think, if this keeps up, we can get rich, and then immediately go back out to try for another big catch. Instead, they do something else. They pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Things changed from this moment because of what Jesus did and said. First of all, Jesus revealed his heavenly power when he helped them to fish. Up until that point, they'd caught absolutely nothing. He gets into the boat and he guides them where to put their nets. At this point of recognizing Jesus' power, Peter falls on his knees. He calls him Lord, and he declares himself 
to be a sinful man. Jesus then tells Peter, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. In the Greek, this reads, Fear thou not, from now men thou will be taking alive. Because of course, the fish they catch are dead. But they will now be catching live people. Catching fish did not compare to following Jesus and catching men. Christ and his purpose had now captivated them. His call to discipleship is immediately responded to. Leaving all things, they followed him. That's exactly how it says it in the Greek. Leaving all things, they followed him. Their response was instant and wholehearted. Psalm 138 is also about wholeheartedness. Mostly the Psalms get down to the nitty-gritty of life. They're cries from the heart by people being overcome by life, jealousy or envy, trusting the Lord, fear of enemies, guilt, their lives being in danger from an unknown enemy. And how many times do we read the Psalms when we feel confused and we're not sure what life is throwing at us? They seem to be calls and conversations by real people, real people calling out to God. Psalm 138 is different. It deals directly with the issue of praise. Praise here being defined as the acknowledgement of God's perfection, his works and his benefits. The singer begins with his individual thanks for God's lasting love and care, and he ends with the hope it will endure forever. This is, above all, a psalm of confidence in God. Confidence in a God whose most important attributes are his loving kindness, in other words, his grace and his truth. But what does David exactly mean when he says, I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart? What does with all my heart mean? To begin with, when the Bible uses the word heart, it is not referring to the heart as the centre of our emotions, the thud-thud when something romantic happens to us. It is referring to the inner person, our inner selves, if you like, our control centre. And here, in this psalm, the totalness of our relationship with God. That's a big sentence, isn't it? the totalness of our relationship with God. The point is being made by David is that our praise is characterised by wholeheartedness. We are not just to offer lip service to God. How many times in life do we find ourselves praising God when really our heart is sinking to our boots? Praising God, to be honest, is not something that always comes naturally to us, or easily. Life and the events of everyday life and the consequences tend very often to get in the way. 
What is the alternative then, we ask ourselves? The answer is to go back to that wretched condition people were in before the coming of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us. People had no occasion to praise the Lord, as we are so privileged to do. Scripture tells us that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Some will not be willing to admit this truth until they stand before God on his throne to be judged. Others have chosen to praise him out of love and appreciation for all he has done for us, being able to offer thankfulness for his redemption of the whole world. His redemption of me, his redemption of you. That potential redemption that is there for all those that you love, waiting to be claimed. There is a clear connection, isn't there, between the ability to praise God in the way David is talking about and our desire to know him more. To praise God more, we need maybe to ask ourselves some questions. What value is our faith to us? Does it have a genuine place in our lives? Meaning, does it influence all we do? I have to say, being perfectly honest, I can sometimes go for a number of days without thinking everything I do today must be influenced by God or automatically feeling that way. And it needs something to bring me up to that point or something happens and I realize I have to speak to God. Are our hearts thankful? For wholeheartedness comes from thankfulness, true thankfulness, that we have been redeemed by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ our Lord. Remembering this gift is pivotal to us as believers. When Peter was forgiven, he immediately felt differently. His life changed. He felt thankful. And because he felt thankful, he was ready for the next step. Everything else is a spin-off because only wholeheartedness can be the real agent for change. Maybe the most important message this morning, looking at both Luke 5 and Psalm 138, is about God's sovereign choice. Through God's sovereign hand, the world is redeemed. We are redeemed. The only choice is how we respond to this life-saving gift. When Peter fell before the Lord, claiming that he was a sinful man, Jesus told him not to be afraid and called him to be his disciple. Peter was forgiven. He knew this and he was filled with thankfulness. Thankfulness and left everything. He left all things 
as did the other fishermen who witnessed this. They left all things to follow Jesus. Peter became wholehearted, and because of this wholeheartedness, Peter's life changed forever. He didn't become perfect, we all know that from reading scripture. He continued to make mistakes, and at one point, he even denies Jesus. The disciples also continued to squabble amongst themselves. If you remember the event when they were squabbling about who would come first. This was of some comfort last week when I heard someone say, I don't know how we become humble. Well, I have to agree with that person. I don't know how we become humble. There's no instruction book coming with our faith telling us how to do this how to become humble. And the list of Christian virtues is very long, isn't it? In 1 Corinthians 13, it makes me tremble at the knees. How can I manage to be all these things and then be humble as well? It seems to be an enormous task. But, and this is an important but, Jesus did not go through the unimaginable suffering he did to make me or any one of us a saint. People living 100% good and perfect lives. He sacrificed his life on the cross to redeem the whole world so it could be cleansed and rehabilitated before the throne of God. The Christian virtues that we value so highly and should are not our aim. They can only be symptoms of our wholeheartedness, which we feel when we are full of thankfulness for what the Lord has done for us. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for the sending of your Son to us to redeem the world, to fill our hearts with grace, to know your mercy, to know that we have been saved, to know that we have a new life. Lord, as we take communion this morning, fill our hearts with thankfulness. Let us come to you this morning with a wholeheartedness in all that we do. We ask for your blessing here this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.